0: Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade.
1: And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center.
0: When we go through Jukai, we take precepts, and that sort of outlines sort of these five commandments oh wait how many are there
1: <laughs> there's 10 total but we take five at jukai
0: but we only do half of them at first yeah. and then we do half of them later so yeah i've taken five precepts at this point and they're kind of like the total like the ten commandments of <laughs> buddhism or something like that and they a lot of them are kind of similar to the ten commandments
1: that's true actually
0: but i i took them and my dad was with me and at that point you know he said something i can't remember what it was but the like something cheeky but i think he was kidding but then sensei was like well you know she has to decide what the precepts mean to her and you know no one can uphold those for her you know so in other words like uh i could maybe like do something that might sort of be against the precepts and my husband be like um, Annie, you know you're not supposed to do that. Uh, it's really none of his business <laughs> or anybody's business the The precepts are between uh, me and myself and my practice and in, in that way, it seems like we interpret we all tend to interpret them a little bit differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm sort of interested how you have f- felt about the precepts and what they mean to you and kind of the the thoughts that you've had about them.
1: I have thought about it a lot. The reason I've thought about it so much, I think even since taking them is that I am coming from what you might call a very precept heavy religion that I was raised in namely Judaism, which doesn't really relate to its rules as precepts in the same way that Buddhists do, it relates to it as law. And, and I think that that has, that, that has evolved over time in Buddhism. I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that in the Pali canon, the rules that the Buddha was laying out for monks were considered, were considered the law for them. And they were kicked out of the Sangha if they violated them, uh, at least some, a lot of them. And these are the grave precepts. These five that we've taken and the remaining five grave precepts that you take uh, when you become a disciple are the, are the ones that are a big deal. I mean, the, the, <laughs> it seems like things, rules, religious rules that come in sets of 10 are generally a big deal. <laughs> uh, but, but like Buddhism, Judaism's understanding of, of the law and what the laws even are and what they say, what the word, the letter of the law is has evolved a lot over time too to the point that sort of modern Judaism it's not really a modern construction it's a pretty pretty old construction of law at this point but rabbinic law is way more complicated than the 10 commandments or even you know the you know whatever number of commandments there are in the actual bible there are now many much more specific and much more everyday kinds of laws that Jews are supposed to follow. And only, I mean, the definition of Orthodox is basically you follow the the rabbinic law. And so if you're not Orthodox, there's definitely some things you're at least modifying. But in most people's cases at this point, it's like you're just outright not caring about certain categories of law. But either way, and especially in a sort of moderate tradition, like my wife and I are, we're both raised in and are in now Uh, your, your behavior is always in relation to the law, whether you're breaking it or obeying it. And that does connect to the way I understand the Buddhist precepts in my life. You know, whether I'm, whether I'm upholding them or not upholding them, I'm in relationship to them. And I think of that as a sort of generative, constructive process of like, okay, I'm, I might be, for example, uh, intoxicated right now. Uh, mm-hmm. and that I understand that I took a precept not to cloud the mind with intoxicants, but the, the presence of that precept alone is still sort of doing, causing me to do the practice, even if I'm in violation of it, you know, as opposed to just yeah, not thinking yeah. about it. So I, I did sort of come in with that skill from Ju- from my relationship to Judaism. But I also came in with a lot of sort of self monitoring, like super ego, it wasn't really instilled by God exactly like God watching over me to see if I break the law. But, but there was a sort of internalized version of that where like, this is what a Jewish person does. This is how you are a good Jew. Like all the other Jews have to be good too. Like, well, am I worse? Am I going to be a worse Jew than them? Or am I going to be, you know, an upstanding citizen and uphold the law, mm-hmm. all that kind of moral thinking as much as I rebelled against it throughout my life. It just sort of worked its way in to the point that I do kind of, I kind of can't help feel that way about the Buddhist precepts that I've taken sometimes. But I do practice sort of letting go of that. And I do practice forgiveness and repentance for violation of the precepts. Which is also something I learned how to do from Judaism because hmm. you, you get that out in Judaism. is You get you get to repent and God forgives you. Yeah. And so I've come to see that as actually sort of a beautiful process in itself.
0: But now you're actually forgiving yourself as a, yeah. opposed to God forgiving you. I mean, I guess yeah. God could still forgive you. I don't know what your relationship to that is. <laughs>
1: So <laughs> yeah. I kind of don't either, but I kind of, d- I wouldn't really make those distinctions. You know, it's like, it still does kind of feel like God forgiving me when I, when I say all my past and harmful karma, born of beginning of this and okay. delusion through body, speech and mind, I now fully avow. like that still feels like I'm talking to God. So basically where I've come down on it is I think of every precept and let's include Jewish law and under the category of precepts, because clearly I have the same relationship to all of it now. hmm every precept is an opportunity to either do the right thing or ask for forgiveness, both of which are ways of continuing down the path. So while I do think of them as, as having these sort of binary qualities of like, yes, I upheld this or no, I violated this. It's a win win in the karmic sense, as long as the structure is there for, you know, recognizing and repairing things when, when they, when they don't, when they don't go right. So I see them, I see the precepts as opportunities. Some of them are easy to uphold and some of them are, are really not. Uh, and the, you know, the opportunity to work on the ones that are not easy to uphold is, is, is you know, uh, just as valuable as the ones that are like, I'm not too worried about killing, you know, like killing, killing is not something I, I'm, like, actively motivated to do. And then, of course, you know, you kill bugs all yeah, the time. yeah,
0: that's what I was saying. Like, how do you translate killing? Because I think I kill probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that one personally ha- has made me change some of my habits.
1: Yeah? Oh, tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I eat so much less meat than I used to. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, this wasn't the only reason. But... Now that when I go go to eat meat, i I think I directly think about the animal that I am mm-hmm. eating, and I didn't before. There's also like this Thich not Han like um exercise that that he you know ha- has said to do where like when you're eating, you should think about like all the places that all all the things that have happened to get the food to mm-hmm. where you are right now, like. Oh, you you mean like the
1: trucks and the, yeah. The trucks, the
0: grocery stores, the farmers. I had to cook it. Like it's being processed in some way and like all the, and I think the, the, it's just sort of trying to get you to be mindful of one, what you're eating, but also to be thankful that you're able to get like this wonderful variety of food and uh, that you can pick the food that's going to be, you know, good for your body and your mind and everything like that. So that's made me more mindful of of eating meat. I'm not a hundred percent vegetarian. I'm actually consider myself like pescatarian, but mm-hmm. occasionally I will eat chicken. But it's becoming less and less like um, appealing to me um, now. When I eat it, it just does kind of taste like funny. Um, mm. kinda, you know, like when you like are trying to defrost chicken and then. <laughs> you put it in the microwave to defrost, but then you accidentally like microwave the edges. Um, mm-hmm. And then it kind of smells like this like weird, like bold chicken smell or something. And Yeah, yeah it smells like what, science class. That's what it tastes like to me now. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it tastes more like that than it used to. I used to not mm-hmm. like, it's like, what did it always taste like that? Like, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, during the pandemic, I decided to substantially cut down my uh, meat consumption, uh, be mainly because of the precept. Because I I had become so mindful of it at at a point where I was just like I don't really want to to eat meat anymore, and I still do. Like I said, I'm not like trying to like go cold turkey. I think that the gradual method has worked for me better. I first stopped like by eating beef because it was hurting my stomach and then pork was eat, hurting my stomach too so i cut those out first and then i was like okay but like now i just feel bad for eating these other animals so <laughs> but i don't i don't think that necessarily that if you are eating animals that like you're breaking the precept again like this is just my translation of it and i'm trying to do like what's best mm-hmm. for the environment and how can i do like the least amount of harm on this planet because i feel like every single day that i'm here i'm contributing to like the waste and i'm contributing to the environment the impact on the environment and, and i think about those a lot more since becoming buddhist than i did before
1: did were the precepts sort of the thing that changed your thinking like was it was it what like how how did that transformation occur what, what was it that changed
0: well i mean like i think that going to to get my bachelor's uh, and moving to atlanta to a city and stuff like that like g- i got like more knowledge about like some of the stuff that i was doing
1: uh-huh. and then
0: that combined with sort of like these like mindfulness practices and then getting the precepts and it was just it just became so hard to ignore And I am not perfect at like, I, I, I buy a lot of stuff, you know, I'm not like, (laughs) I just try my best. (laughs) That's all I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the main Mm -hmm. precepts is is like, do no harm. Like that's the whole idea. And I'm like, how can I do less harm? Because I almost feel like it's impossible to do no harm.
1: There's no or else in the, in the precepts, at least like not in the language (laughs) of the precepts as we take them. So the, that's left as a question. That I think is pretty interesting to, to sit with, because like, there's still no answer. Like you're not going to sit with it and find an answer. But the, but the, the text that we say during Jukai, which I have here, it does say when you're done, it says you must not break these five great precepts. (laughs) And then it says, please observe these precepts as you have promised. And so that's a funny combination to me. I always found, I found that juxtaposition to be kind of amusing because it's one's like, you must not. And then the other one says, please. Eww, so it's, please. it's, it's like both voices. I mean, that's kind of the way these things work, right? Like there's voices in, in your mm-hmm. mind or heart or something that, that chime in when, you know, you're in a situation and you're going to make a decision. And that's sort of how religion always operates. And the, the, thing I find interesting about the precepts that we've taken in the, in the ceremony in which we took them, uh, is that both voices are there. There's the stern, serious voice. And then there's like the, the polite, pl- please good manners voice. <laughs> and the, you know, whichever, whichever one sort of comes up in your, in the real situation is the one that brings you into relationship with the precepts. But there's no, there, there's no consequence that's like laid out in any concrete terms you know we'll talk about it elsewhere we'll talk we'll talk about karma and rebirth and all of that stuff but zen really doesn't use those things this way as like moral imperatives
0: right i agree i think there are there are consequences like the law of cause and effect you know karma is going to they're going there's going to be a, a like an effect to your actions but it doesn't mm-hmm. say like it doesn't even put that in the precepts like you know, you got to follow the precepts or else, you know, your your actions will have an effect on things. It's, it doesn't threaten yeah. you with anything like that. And I think that actually leaves it up to me, leaves it up to hmm. my personal, like, moral compass, which is very high. I'm always, like, the person on the video games that has to, like, be the goody two shoes, like... I accidentally steal something and then I have to like restart to like the last save point so that I can redo (laughs) that again. Uh, I didn't mean to. Gosh, (laughs) I'm sorry. So that actually makes it so I would want to uphold them more because it's left up to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas in Christianity, I felt like, well, someone was watching me. And if I did do those things wrong, like I was having like a merit score and my score was dropping and that would stress me out to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore.
1: Yeah. The stress is, is the thing that, you know, with that, it's interesting. What what that reminds me of is something I've read about so many times. It's just, it's like such a popular little bit of, you know, meme science, uh, about choice fatigue. I don't know if that's the exactly correct terminology but I know what
0: you're talking about.
1: There's it's like the people use it as the explanation for like why Steve jobs wore the same exact outfit every day. And you know, Barack Obama, there's a Barack Obama version too. And it's like people who have to make so many consequential decisions a day, like realize maybe even only instinctually, but maybe also in the, the cases of those two guys, maybe like super intentionally that the the more choices you can remove, like like even just removing a few choices or removing the least consequential choices from your day leaves you with so much more energy, so many more resources uh, than you would otherwise. And the study, I feel, I think I remember that the study was done on people from who left the Soviet Union and came to the United States. And like, uh, or maybe this is just an example of like, uh, uh, you know, a, a group of people in history that have really demonstrated this uh you know they came from communist grocery stores where there was one of everything on the shelf and they you know they came to america and and you know went to a supermarket and you know were supposed to think it was so great that there were 37 kinds of toothpaste to choose from and they were they said they were completely paralyzed because why would you need to make a decision about what kind of toothpaste and like i i feel exactly the same way in a supermarket like having to make those kinds of of stupid decisions all day is completely exhausting. And the, um, you know, there have been work situations where I was, where I felt that way kind of by the end of the day, but it's nothing compared to parenting little kids. And so, you know, I like having to make all these choices completely wears down my ability to make the right choice. And this is how you end up making terrible, how i end up making terrible like eating decisions or staying up all staying staying up hours too late, just screwing around and not sleeping like I'm supposed to, because by the end of the day, I'm completely exhausted from making choices. And so, the there's the the idea behind this sort of research into this choice fatigue is that it has moral implications because if you're exhausted from making choices and you just progressively make like the easier shortcut decision all like over the course of the day, how are you supposed to make like a difficult but moral choice by the end? So having to make choices, free moral choices all the time, you run out of steam for it. And precepts serve as a sort of automatic choice-making machine so that you're relieved hmm. from the burden of having to make that moral decision for yourself.
0: I never thought about it that way. I enjoy making those small choices. I don't, I mean, the the bigger choices get me... Uh throw me for a loop i uh, i spend mm-hmm. way too much time deciding on the big choices
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean i was i was bringing that up because it sounded like you're you kind of operate differently in terms of uh what kinds of choices are exhausting for you yeah. It's and I, i'm sure it's more complicated than just number of choices in the day and you were the, the thing that you said about feeling like god was watching you uh, you know, stressing you out. That was that. That stress itself is sort of the thing I'm pointing at. It's like mm. if if the consequences are so severe that you're like going to hell for all eternity for <laughs> making choices. Like, of course, every single choice is going to be exhausting. Yeah. And if you can, if you can sort of relieve that pressure and just have it be a choice about like turning left or turning right, and you're free to choose because you're right. a human being, like
0: following like, the precepts yeah. or not following the precepts.
1: Yeah. And there's way if there's way less pressure, it makes a lot of sense that there's way less stress about the choice and that leaves you sort of more free to make more
0: even even still if you feel like maybe there's there isn't a uh specified consequence is there a consequence for you on a personal level for not following what you have deemed the precepts in your personal practice
1: well i mean like i said at the beginning there there are i kind of impose consequences on myself and i'm not and i'm not so into that the 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 guilt being the main one, and I think people mm-hmm. from various religious yeah. backgrounds have this yeah. problem. Um,
0: what a wonderful but thing! But the <laughs>
1: and, and this this is what I meant about this sort of internalized version of it. Like, I don't actually think God is upset, as disappointed in me. It's I, it's me. It's I'm. It's myself that's mm-hmm. disappointed in me. It's my idealized version of myself as like a good person who upholds the precepts. Yeah. So that's a consequence enough, but it's not the kind of consequence that I want to be concerned with. And, yeah. and I don't really believe that the most moral behavior comes out of that sort of good enough uh, consequence that like, you mm-hmm. know, even if I, even if I feel very selfish inside, but like there's some other ulterior reason why I don't want to do the pre, like follow the yeah. precept, or why I do want to follow the precept, like, and I do it. And so I accidentally end up doing the right thing. Like, I don't think that is, I don't think that that leads to consistent moral behavior, I think it leads to a sort of middling and and, and occasionally wrong way of doing things. And so, you know, I, I I try and make it as much of a mystical experience as possible to make any kind of free choice because of the interconnectedness of me and whoever is affected. I mean, that visualization from Thich Nhat Hanh that you're talking about with food, I feel like you can kind of do that for any choice if you imagine sort of all of the branching possibilities of the effects of what you're doing. And I don't know if like running that kind of imagination simulation on every choice is the right way to do it, but maybe there is, I don't know about maybe, maybe, like maybe seems not strong enough compared to how it really feels. I'm pretty sure that there is a sort of just ambient version of that. That is something I cultivate in Zazen where like seeing the world that way as this giant web of interconnected causes and effects mm-hmm. with me somewhere located inside of it uh about to kind of make a move that will send ripples throughout this whole system that's that i think is just a kind of way of being that can be it not learned is is has a connotation of like thinking about it and that's not yeah. what i mean i think you can sort of work it into yourself And precepts are pointing at the way that those relationships really work when they work out. When I I can, I can see it like
0: immediately. We go back to like the cloud. Do not cloud your judgment, precept. Uh huh. And I uh, am very sensitive to alcohol. I don't drink it very often, Uh, and I don't think that just drinking alcohol is the problem, right? But when it comes down to this sort of like, what was the karmic effect of drinking the alcohol uh-huh. or whatever, and a lot of times, I think it's just with my personality, I don't know. Like, I don't have to drink a lot to get drunk. I'm a small person, and um, since I don't drink, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I'm a lightweight. So it'll mm-hmm. be like two glasses of wine in and I'll definitely be drunk um, <laughs> or two beers in or whatever but there's a 50-50 chance. 50 percent chance I will be having an awesome time. And then the other 50 chance is that I will get in a bad mood mm. and you know maybe I'll have an argument with my husband or something. And I mm-hmm. think that's why like the clouding of the judgment can be bad because I mean at least I see it in myself personally. I think there's a lot of people who drink all the time and you know don't have that problem and i think that well then maybe they can drink more than me and that's mm-hmm. that's where they're if they if they were following that precepts they can probably drink more cloud their mind more than i can you know mm-hmm. <laughs> for and then not have a uh, a sort of like negative effect happen
1: yeah i i think about that one in two different time scales like there's a there's a short term karma and a long-term karma from, you know, drinking, for example, that, uh, that I relate to differently, the, the precept, the way it's worded is about clouding the mind. And, you know, this precept has a long, weird history throughout Buddhism of like de- meaning definitely like being intoxicated in the most literal sense is, is like a grave offense to like, it's okay to drink, you just can't sell alcohol, because then you're like, trafficking and in intoxication. <laughs> and like, there's, there's just, there's all these different places and times in Buddhist history where this precept has changed. But the way that it's come down to us, and I think it's been this way for a while. Um, I, th- I think that our that the, the Soto Zen version of the precepts has a sort of grounding in like Bodhidharma, like it's a it's a it's basically the Zen way of understanding the precepts. And it says, "Don't cloud the mind with intoxicants." In our translation, and so to me, that always seemed to be about, like, can? Well, I mean, I what what it's. I don't know if this is what it's about, but the way that I've evaluated my adherence to that precept is: Can I do Zen practice right now, or not? Like, like it's a, it's there's like a check. Like, can can I like? You know, I, I don't want to put into words the thing we don't put into words, but like, if I'm if I'm completely trashed, I'm not really there mm-hmm. in a way that I've become pretty immediately sensitized to because it's this, because this is what when when we use the word practice to describe Zazen, like this is what you're practicing. It's like realizing you're not there and then coming back. So, you know, if I can still do that, then the then then I don't really relate to my mind as clouded. Mm-hmm. But if I can't notice that, like that's to me, like that's what the meaning of clouded is uh, or intoxicated is. And of course, that, so so that sounds like a loophole. Like, OK, now I can drink four beers because I can still pretend it to It also meditate.
0: seems more rigid.
1: Well, that's yes, that's what I was going Because you say. can
0: be intoxicated on things that aren't even drugs at all.
1: Yes, exactly. Like a
0: person that you're obsessed with or something else that you're obsessed with. Or TV,
1: or social media, or anxiety, or uh, hunger. Yeah, absolutely. And and so and and I don't. And so this is what I was going to say in my defense. It's like I'm not using a loophole to make it so that I can drink a beer. I'm actually really taking seriously the idea that intoxication is the problem, and I'm not trying to sort of load any particular behavior or substance or whatever with any kind of magical like holiness or or like profanity or something it's 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 intoxication itself that's the problem and intoxication comes from all kinds of places
0: see the thing is is but it goes goes hand in hand a lot of times at least i think that these type of intoxicants can make you become intoxicated on some other emotion like anxiety or something like that so yeah, right you know sure. i think i think it's all about this whole like balance of trying to be your most balanced self Mm -hmm. at all times and how can you do that and part of that is making sure you eat on time and sleep on time and exercise and stuff like that so that you don't get intoxicated on hunger or yeah. tired sleepiness or whatever.
1: <laughs> I think that's really beautifully and comprehensively put. And then the other thing I want to add is the, th- is the long-term version of the fifth precept, which is like not so much about wh- whether I'm intoxicated right now, but it's like tomorrow morning, how am I going to feel? And, mm-hmm. you know, how often do we regret our various intoxications, whether it's literal like alcohol or drugs or sleep or... Or, you know, be getting so hungry that you eat something terrible uh, or, you know, all kinds of things or getting so anxious and worked out that you freak out at somebody and hurt their feelings. Like, yeah, there are so there are so many consequences that come along, not in your next lifetime, but but like tomorrow right. or in an hour and and being being clear enough to make decisions on that time scale and not just on what you want to do right now is also to me a huge part of of the concept of intoxication, but all of this is still in the service of just staying balanced, just like you said. And, you know, maybe, maybe the metaphor is more useful than, uh, than, than anything else we could say about what the precepts are or what they mean or how you should uphold them. Because, you know, you don't think about where you're putting your foot when you're balancing, you're feeling your whole body at once. And mm-hmm. and if you lose contact with any part of you or any motion or force or sensation that you're having and start thinking about your feet or your ears, you're going to fall off. And that the the precepts sort of represent like all of the different little movements, adjustments that you mm-hmm. make to stay balanced. And by living this way day in and day out, they become habits that are just like learning to balance which you don't know how to do when you're a little toddler like mine (laughs) she falls off of things all the time but she's going to learn to balance once (laughs) once she does well yeah so don't we all we all fall anyway but like you still learn to balance without having to think about it and and i think that's a really excellent metaphor for what the precepts are householders is a production of the atlanta soto zen center in atlanta georgia and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org.
0: Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at STOrder.org. Gasho.